All right. Well, who has been uh, to this great new building? Who's been? Everyone's been. Who's not been? One, 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 one. Hey, you should go. You should go real soon. Um, it's great, isn't it? You've got the, the incredible curves, uh, the great new food court, um, the upstairs garden. Thank you for the garden models. Um, it's, it's cool, it's cutting edge, it's exciting. You can't help but feel kind of proud to be at UTS. But what is God's big building project? What is his, not uh, UTS, but G-O-D central? Well, uh, there are a couple of different candidates. Uh, could it be the United Nations, so as to promote world peace? Or the United States, uh, to preserve freedom? Might it be Greenpeace to fight climate change or Amnesty International to combat injustice? Uh, Perhaps it's World Vision to reduce poverty or Netflix to decrease boredom. What or who in the world is God most committed to, most uh, focused on building up? The church. The church. Uh, The church is the surprising centre of God's big building project. Now we see it in our passage from 1 Peter today as we see it throughout the Bible. Uh, Paul, for example, writes in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, for we are God's co-workers and you are God's building. Or, God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And Jesus himself said, I will build my church. Now, of course, we don't mean physical buildings like the Cathedral uh, Notre Dame or Vatican City or even Barney's at Broadway. No, we mean the great gathering of people across history, across, across the globe, who trust in Jesus. It's not a... It's not a building of bricks and mortar. It's of hearts and flesh, a community of people. Now, that's surprising, don't you think? The church. I mean, what's so impressive about us, the church? The church. At one level, nothing. At another, everything. So let's dig a bit deeper into our passage today. Okay. Now, we're going to begin at the end of the passage uh, in order to understand the beginning of the church's story, or rather, her backstory. Now, if you're a Christian already, this is your backstory. If you're not yet a Christian, then who knows, maybe it will become your backstory one day. So, what's the church's backstory? Well, looking at verse 10, down the bottom of the screen, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, the church was once a nothing. Uh, We were not a people. You could say we were a bunch of nobodies. Uh, Worse than that, we were a bunch of nobodies that had yet to receive mercy. Uh, We were a bunch of no good, good for nothing, no hopers. And it's not that we didn't need mercy, it's just that we had yet to receive it. Uh, we were, in other words, in darkness. Now, Christians, uh, 
whether you like it or not, that's your backstory. If you're not willing to own it, then you're not part of the Christian team. Clearly, uh, the church does not get off to a great or glorious start. It's actually a tragic start. The only thing going for it is that anyone can qualify. Any loser is eligible for this team. Do you want to sign up? Well, let's continue. Verse 10 again. Once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Uh, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I love that phrase, but now. See, once we were nothing, we were not a people, but now we're really something. We're the people of God. Uh, once we had not received mercy, we were in trouble, deep trouble, but now we have received mercy. We're forgiven. We're free. We've been found. Well, how is this even possible? Well, it's not because of us. It's because of God. For it is God who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light, verse 9. And what is the first step in responding to God's call? Well, verse 4. As you come to him, as you come to Jesus... The only way to going from being nothing to really something, from being unforgiven to being forgiven, is to come to Jesus, to put your faith in, to rely on, to depend upon him. Um, You see, Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation slab of God's big building project. Uh, As it says in verse 6, See, I, God, lay a stone in Zion. A chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. In a building project, the cornerstone must be perfect, must be flawless. That's because everything else is built upon it. If the cornerstone is straight and strong, then the building is secure. With the perfect cornerstone in place, God's building project is secure. If the stones that are added on top come chipped or cracked or crooked, that's okay. So long as they rest on him, he will hold them up. He is the strong foundation for the whole building. But if the cornerstone is weak and wonky, then the rest of the building will be off-centre and in time it will come crashing down. But the cornerstone in God's building project is Jesus, and he is truly perfect. So you can, no, you should trust in him. Well, the other day uh, we did text a toasty. Uh, You text in any God question, and uh, we'll bring you a cheese or Nutella toasty and a non-cheesy, non-nutty answer. That's the idea. And as usual, there were a couple of uh, questions about the difference between Uh, the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. It seems to come up every time. Uh, Both groups have a vision of what Christianity is or or the church is, but they're slightly different. Well, how do they differ? I think the key difference is to do with understanding how Jesus and the church are, are connected or relate together. So, for example, how might someone be right with God? Well, the Protestant says it's simply... By Jesus. Whereas the Catholic says it's by Jesus' church. Uh, Very similar, 
very similar and yet critically different. Uh, clearly, they both really value Jesus, his kind of key. But for the, for the Protestant, Jesus alone is a source of salvation. Uh, the Protestant believes that, that we can receive salvation directly from Jesus, simply by trusting in him. Whereas for the Catholic, it's never just Jesus. Uh, Jesus' salvation is accessed indirectly through the church. Uh, we must go to the church in order to receive salvation from Jesus. So for the Catholic, the church is the means by which Jesus saves. Whereas for the Protestant, the church is not the means of salvation, but rather the fruit, uh, the outcome of salvation. We're not saved by the church, but into it. Well, this is a picture of Peter. Uh, Interestingly, in our passage today, um, Peter is solely focused on Jesus. Now, Peter could easily have added himself into the equation, into the, uh, the metaphor. After all, his name means rock. So he could easily have said, Jesus is a cornerstone, and I'm the rock, and you need to build on us both. But I don't think that's what Peter said. Uh, Peter never points to himself. He knew that he was a sinner and therefore wholly dependent on Jesus for salvation. He knew that he was simply the messenger, not the message. And so I think the Protestant view gets Peter right at this point. There's only one cornerstone, one saviour in God's church. Don't build your life on anyone else. Instead, like Peter, build your life on Jesus alone. So the church does not save, and yet it's still central For the church is what God saves people into. Uh, As we come to him, Jesus, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now, coming to Jesus is a a personal thing. It's it's an individual thing. My faith cannot save you. Uh, Your faith cannot save me. We must, each one of us, have faith in Jesus. That is, we're saved as individual stones. And yet we're saved into this spiritual household. As such, the Christian experience is always corporate. There's no such thing as a solo Christian. God always calls us into community. And I thought uh, Haley's testimony was a great example of that because even though her parents don't let her go to church on a Sunday, she's found church, she's found Christian community in other ways, such as here with Credo. Well, sometimes uh, when people think of community, they think of conformity or uniformity. Everyone looking, thinking, doing just the same. Um, And that's a very easy way to arrive at community. Um, Often religions do go down that path, but it's also really bland. Now, hopefully uh, you've noticed that the natural world is full of diversity. God likes diversity. He made it that way. He's not into bland. He likes this kind of idea, you see. He wants community that is both unity and variety. He wants diversity in harmony. 
But of course, getting that right is really difficult. Unity and variety, diversity and harmony, that's, that's really hard to do. But when it works, it's really amazing. Uh, living together without flattening out our differences requires bucket loads of patience and mercy, uh, forgiveness and grace. Um, I know that I benefit from that personally here at Credo. Uh, people are accepting of my quirks. Uh, I try and be accepting of others too. Of course, God is the ultimate uh, source, the ultimate um, expression of patience and mercy and so on. He is the master builder, the, the master architect. And it's often in the community of the church that God teaches us to be better at those things too. Well, verses uh, 5 and 9, up on the screen again, um, add still more facets to the description of the church. Uh, In verse 5, we're called a holy priesthood. And in verse 9, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Uh, So let's just pick up on two key words, uh, holy and priesthood. Uh, The word holy, I mean, it's often a religious word, but... It literally just means belonging to being set apart for someone or something. And in this case, that someone is God. It's as if God went down to the tip and he gathered up some old bits of rubble and debris and he's taken us back to his building site. Uh, We no longer belong to the tip. Uh, We're now holy to God. And of course, this also means that we're part of a a new project. Uh, We've been repurposed. We no longer live like before, doing our own thing, independent of God. Uh, Rather, we seek to live in relation to Jesus, in conformity to him. We're part of his big building project. Well, the idea of priesthood is to bring God to the people and the people to God. So the priests in the Old Testament would go out from God to the people, sharing his word and demonstrating his ways. And they would go up from the people to God, offering the sacrifices and leading in worship. Well, so too, every Christian together now goes out to the world, sharing his word and demonstrating his ways. And we're to go up to God through the trailblazing sacrifice and worship of Jesus by giving up ourselves in worship and sacrifice. And in going out and up, We live to declare the praise of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Well, hopefully I've I've painted a picture of the church that is both accurate and appealing. I'd like to invite you to come to Jesus, to be included in the church, uh, God's big building project. I can't think of a better thing to do. But there is a cost. There is a cost. It's not to do with securing God's mercy. That cost was borne by God in the death of Jesus. The access is open. But there is a cost in identifying with Jesus. So even Jesus was rejected. He was rejected not because he was a sinner, but he was rejected by sinners. Uh, Verse 4 tells us that Despite being chosen by God and precious to him, Jesus was rejected by humans. He was the stone 
the builders rejected, verse 7. So the stone whom God accepts is the one whom the world rejects. And so if you are to come to him for salvation, the same may well happen to you. Uh, You too may be misunderstood, uh, mocked, even in some places, murdered. And I'm sure that uh, many of us here understand that. Uh, Perhaps it's parents, maybe it's friends or, or classmates or others who, you know, just let us know, sometimes very clearly, sometimes more subtly, that they don't approve of our decision to follow Jesus. And it's hard to feel their rejection. Perhaps as a result you keep your Christian faith hidden from those around you. Or perhaps you're putting off a decision to follow Jesus. Well, friends, take heart. Uh, God knows how to defend his people. In the case of Jesus, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 7. The humiliated, crucified outcast has become the glorious, risen son. And so too, the one who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. Verse 6. For a time, perhaps even a lifetime, there may be suffering and rejection. But in the end, it will work out for good. God guarantees it. Indeed, it's not just that it will work out for the best for those who trust in Jesus. It will work out for worst for those who do not. For besides being a cornerstone to those who trust him, Jesus is also a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, verse 8. Those who reject the living stone and oppose his people will one day be rejected themselves with the awful, unceasing rejection of God. So, that's the church, God's big building project. We're not especially pretty. God didn't choose us because of our beauty, our brains, our brawn. But we do belong to Jesus. And he is the most precious, the most lovely of them all. So friends, get on board and stay on board. Find your place in God's big building project. Uh, Don't miss out, but come to Jesus. And may he be the cornerstone of your life, uh, both individually and in the church. Let me pray.